Well, good morning. It's great to see you. First Sunday of 2020. Glad you are here. And uh, we are going to talk about the past year and the year to come. Uh, as uh, Nathan said, next Sunday is our big vision Sunday. We're going to talk about our plans, our vision for the next 10 years of ministry here at First Baptist Church. But today we're going to talk about the year past and then how you're going to feed yourself in the year to come as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Christ. I want to share with you a couple of things uh, before we get into that. Uh, secondly, uh, secondly, what am I doing? Going backwards. So first of all, uh, today is the first Sunday on duty for our new student pastor, uh, uh, Michael Van Gorp, and he and his wife Hannah are here with us in the worship service. And so please make sure you come by and say hi to them and welcome them here and pray for them. Uh, we're excited to have them on, on staff, excited for the new beginning and uh, looking forward to watching a great student ministry grow and continue to develop and reach more people for Christ. Uh, also, today is a day we are celebrating another member of our team who we really, really value, and that's Alan Armstrong. Alan has been with us 10 years. It was 10 years as of the first Sunday in December, uh, but today is the day we're going to celebrate. So as soon as our worship service is over, uh, if you would, if you can possibly, I sure hope you can, come stick with us for a little while. Uh, we've got a reception plan in the gym. There is food, uh, and you come by and, and just welcome, or not welcome, but thank Alan and Candace and the whole family. Uh, we, we're, we're collecting a love offering also, so if you want to contribute to that, great. If you have a card or a letter or just a note to pass him, there are baskets for you to drop those in. I've been told to say by, the, by, by Lisa Cook, who oversees our finances, uh, if you want to write a check, make it out to Alan, not to the church. Or even better, make it out to Candace. I think that makes more sense, right? <laughs> She likes that, yeah. So uh, we hope you'll stick with us for that. It's going to be a great day. Uh, so turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is the time of year we tend to think about self-improvement. And as you get older, I know a lot of you are younger than me, and I'm glad for that, glad to see you here, but uh, as you get older, you start to get a little more cynical about this idea of self-improvement. You start to go, okay, I tried losing the weight, it didn't come off. I tried getting in shape, I quit after two days, that was a waste of six months in gym membership. I tried learning a new language, I still don't even speak English well. Um, I, I tried, you know, I tried getting out of debt, that's still there. I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you from all those. All those are good efforts. But after a while, you get discouraged because self-improvement is hard. But what if I told you there is an area of your life in which self-improvement is guaranteed if you just put in the work? What if I told you that in this one area of your life, any effort you put into improving in this, you're guaranteed to succeed? Not only that, but the one area I'm talking about is the most important area of your whole life. It's the only area of your life that really applies to everything else. Everything in your life ties into this. In fact, if you will improve, if you'll grow in this one area, you will find you are more joyful, you're better to other people, you are, your life improves in, in immeasurable ways. And what I'm talking about is your relationship with Christ, your relationship with the Lord. If you are not a, a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here today, and hopefully you're going to hear the gospel, you're going to hear why you should become a follower of His today, but I'm taking it for granted that many of you are, and if you are, what I want you to know is the Christian life is not about walking an aisle, getting baptized, and then waiting around to die or for Jesus to come back so you can enjoy the rewards. The Christian life, the life in Christ, following Him and becoming righteous in Him starts now. 
And that's, what, that's how uh, Peter begins his second letter. So let's pick up with uh, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His very precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Think about that sentence. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want you to go back up to the top, to that very first phrase, His divine power has granted us all things. What is He talking about? He's not saying that you have all the resources you need to do whatever you want to do. That's, that's our positive thinking kind of mentality. Yes, if I want to become a billionaire, I can do it because I have all resources. Well, that's not true. If it were, there'd be a lot more billionaires in the world, right? God has not granted me all the resources I need to play in the NBA, right? I'd love to be able to dunk a basketball, but if it's at 10 foot like it's supposed to, I can barely touch the bottom of the net. God just hasn't given me the resources I need to, to do that kind of thing. But in this one area, He has given me everything I need, all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, I have everything I need in order to become like Jesus if I just put in the effort. I can partake of the divine nature. doesn't mean I become divine. I can partake of the divine nature. I can become someone who walks like Jesus and talks like Jesus and thinks like Jesus and, and treats people the way Jesus would have treated them. And what does that really mean? You might say, well, that's, yeah, okay, that sounds really churchy. But what it really boils down to is every day of my life, no matter what else happens, whether it's a good day or a bad day, I have the understanding that I have the potential that day to become more virtuous, more courageous, more wise, more knowledgeable about the things that matter, more kind to people, uh, even people who aren't kind to me, more able to change the lives of the people around me, more in control of my emotions and my impulses so I don't fly off the handle and say things that I regret later, stronger so the storms of life don't shake me, more righteous in the things that I say and the things that I do and the things that I think, more affectionate and kind to the people who love me most, and more able to treat others the way I wish that I were treated. In other words, to become the kind of person that I've always wanted to be, I have the potential to become that every day, to become a little bit more like that. All I've got to do is put in the effort. Not the effort to try to live right, but the effort to get to know Jesus better, because that's the key. All you got to do is put in the effort to spend time in His presence, to get to know Him better. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does that look like? What does it look like to pursue righteousness in Christ? What does it look like to pursue righteousness in Christ? Verse 5 says, or I'm sorry, verse 4 says, He has granted us all things. That word literally means He's lavished it upon us. He has given us over and above what we think we need. 
So it reminds me of a story. When I was uh, 30 years old, I started pastoring a new church, a church in another city, and it was mostly a working-class congregation, but there was one man in the church who was very, very wealthy, and he was also very kind, which is a really good combination. That's a rare combination, but it existed in this man. And he came to me after I'd been there a little while, and he said, hey, I'd like to buy you a suit. Now, in those days, uh, I bought suits at a local department store that doesn't even exist anymore, and, and I bought the cheapest they had. I, I waited for a sale, and I bought whatever was cheapest, and, and, and I, that's just the way I was. I was. I was tight with my money, right? He sent me to this men's store that I didn't even know existed, the kind of place, some of you have been to places like this where you walk in, and immediately there's this little team of people who follows you around and selects things for you. And okay, uh, Mr. Berger, here's, here's three shirts. Which one do you like? Okay, here's, here's a selection of ties. And, and would, you like, would you like suspenders? Would you like cufflinks? Would you like shoes? Would you like pants? You know, it's, it's this full-service experience. And I walked out with this incredible suit that I still have to this day that doesn't fit anymore, but still, it's the, mo- it's the nicest piece of clothing I've ever had. Now, I want you to ask yourself the question, what if after he had offered this to me, what if I would have gone to that store and then said, nope, none of this is for me, and then gone to Walmart and bought a track suit, you know, little, little pants and the windbreaker jacket with the, with the stripe down the sleeves, and then I showed up at church on Sunday like, check me out. Now, would my friend have been confused, offended, a little hurt? Yeah, not because he's upset at seeing his pastor look ridiculous, although that would probably be a part of it, but mainly because he would say, listen, I, I provided something. I, I wanted to give you something. This was, this was an offer of friendship, and have you rejected it? Have you done nothing with it? What does that mean? See, Jesus died to rescue us, and here's what a lot of people don't realize. The death of Christ on the cross wasn't just to save us from eternal hell. It wasn't just to purchase our place in heaven for all eternity. As wonderful as that is, He died to lavishly provide us with the resources we would need to become new people, to become people who have His joy, His purpose, His peace, His, His glory. And when we show up before Him with Walmart-level character, what does that say? about what we think of His amazing gift to us. When we choose not to even try to get to know Him so that we can grow in righteousness, so we can become the people we've always been meant to be, that's almost like trampling on the gift He's offered, isn't it? So this past year, we challenged the whole church. We called it the all-in challenge. And it was, a, it was really a challenge to pursue righteousness in Jesus like we've never done it before. And there were four specific ways we were, we were challenging you. And, and you're about to hear from four different members of our church who took those challenges and the difference it made, with, made in their lives. And we're going to celebrate that today. But we also want to think about what are we going to do in 2020? This time, we're not giving you specific things to do. This time, we want to leave it up to you. My, my, the whole purpose of this, the reason the title of the sermon is Don't Stop, is if these challenges were useful for you, then don't stop doing them. Or if you want to do something different, do it. But plan today. What will I do to grow in righteousness through Christ? What will I do to put myself in contact with Him daily? What will I do to feed my soul? 
So here's what I'm asking you to do. Uh, take your, your bulletin, your worship guide if you want to, and turn to the notes section if you want. Or, or you, if you're a techie, you can use your smartphone, the note function. But either way, I want you to write this sentence down, okay? It's, this is what I will begin doing immediately to further my growth in Christ. This is what I will begin doing immediately to further my growth in Christ. You see the colon up there? That means I want you to write something down after it. That means today or sometime this week, write down, here are the things I'm going to do to further my growth in Christ. Now, before we get into it, there are three promises in this text that we read earlier, and I want to cover them. The first promise is in verse 8. It says that if we're increasing in the qualities of Christ-likeness, quote, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful. In other words, the flip side of that is, if you're pursuing righteousness in Christ, you're growing in those qualities He mentions in the passage, steadfastness and godliness, brotherly affection, love, virtue, faith, etc. If you're growing in those things, you will be effective. You will be fruitful. Well, what does that mean? That means you will have an impact on the people around you. You will make the world a better place. People who know you, their lives will be richer and fuller and happier because you are part of their lives. Your life will matter if you're pursuing righteousness in Christ. The second promise is in verse 10. And the quote there is, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And that means what you think it means. It means you won't sin anymore. Now, Peter is not saying that he expects any of us to reach the level of sinless perfection in this life, but we should be advancing toward it, right? I mean, do you ever stop and think, if Jesus died for me and the Holy Spirit exists and He's alive inside me, I shouldn't really be stumbling over these same sins in the same frequency as I was before. Do you ever get frustrated and think, what's wrong with me? Well, well, you should because that's not where Christ wants us to be. We should be making progress. So wouldn't, wouldn't you love to be able to say, this time next year, looking back on 2020, wow, 2020 was a year, I didn't regret as many things as I did before. 2020 was a year I had to say I'm sorry to the ones I love less often because less often did I hurt them. Less often did I let them down. 2020 was a year where more, than, more often than usual, I was doing the right thing. I was saying the right thing. I was, I was not having to stop and feel guilty and shameful because I've, I've let my Lord down once again. You will never fall if you pursue righteousness in Christ. You are guaranteed to get it. It's a long process, but you'll win. All you have to do is put in the effort. Now, the third promise we're going to get to at the end, but first, I wanted us to talk about those four challenges from last year, just to, just to celebrate what we've experienced, but also to whet your appetite for what will I do in the year to come. So, the first challenge last year was we, we challenged you to read through the whole Bible for yourself. For the first time, for many of you, it, it, was, it would be the first time you'd ever read the entire Scripture. And one of those people who read it for the first time last year was Heather Ragsdale. Heather works in our worship ministry, and we asked her to share her experience. So watch the screen. I'm Heather Ragsdale, and I'm the music and worship assistant here at First Baptist Church. When I first heard about the All In Challenge, all the four aspects of it were areas that I needed to work on because I, I guess I prayed kind of sporadically this all-in challenge, kind of with my Bible reading, I would pray before I read the Bible, and I was praying daily and uh, getting closer to God because we were conversing more. I was really excited about the, the Bible reading part, especially because whenever I'd heard of somebody who had read the whole Bible, I just thought, 
wow, that's something I could never do. I wish I could, but that's just too big of a task. And then suddenly the all-in challenge made me see that it was possible for me to do that in a year. And I was excited to have that opportunity. I grew up in church as a, a preacher's kid, and we heard kind of the same stories, most of them well, pretty much all of them, happy stories with a happy ending, and uh, but basically the same stories. There are a lot of things in the, mostly in the Old Testament. Well, I guess all of the, all the things I'm thinking of in the Old Testament, things we didn't touch on in Sunday school, growing up in the church. There's a whole lot of the Bible that we don't hear about much. There were some funny parts of the Bible that I had to stop and I, I laughed. Paul's letters, I was familiar with them, but um, reading them in depth and reading them like back to back, well, I really appreciated them more and it made me want to go back after this year is done and take my time and study those letters more because I really liked Paul's voice. He said things in a way that were very clear to me. God was mad for a long time. <laughs> There were many chapters, God was angry. <laughs> After I saw how angry God could be, it made me appreciate the New Testament so much more um, and just made me thankful, more thankful than I was already. I think it's important for us as Christians to read the Bible because the Bible's God's gift to us. It's He's telling us His history, from the very beginning with, of his um, relationship with man and, of course, the great gift of Jesus Christ. Before I get to the end of my life or before a person gets to the end of their life, you want to make sure you take advantage of that gift and study it and get to know God as well as you can. I think the way it's impacted my life has been, um, in general, as I've gone through the Bible and looked at it more in depth and um, more intently. It has shown me areas of my life that I need to work on where before, it, 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 I don't know, it just made those areas come more into focus. And it has stayed with me more, the things that I need to work on the most. So, some of you read through the Bible last year like Heather for the very first time. Some of you started and didn't quite finish. Some of you said that's too big for me and never really started. Either way, my whole point is not that every Christian needs to read through the whole Bible every year. I think every Christian should read the whole Bible at least once in their life because as Heather said, there are parts of the Bible that we just don't touch on in church and in life group time and, and, and it's good to know everything that's in there. My point is not that you have to do that every year. Some of it, for some of us, that works. For others of us, that's too much. Three and four chapters a day, that's too much for us to really retain. It would be more of a chore than a blessing. Uh, perhaps for you, it's better to read a chapter a day. Perhaps to go even slower, to read uh, just a little section, uh, to work through books of the Bible slowly at your own pace. Some of you do better when you use a devotional guide, so you have a little scripture and a little section of commentary. Some of you do better listening than reading, so it's great to live in a time where you can just use your smartphone to download an audio Bible and listen to it in your car. My, my, my point is, however it works for you, 
make a plan to get the Word of God into your mind every day because you need that. Now, the second, as you think about, as you think about what I'm going to do this year to further my growth in Christ, the second, the second challenge we offered last year was to pray for the lost. We had a, a plan we used called concentric circles of concern that I think worked really well to help us identify the people in our lives that are distant from God so we could pray for them every day. Uh, and, and we asked Denise Moon to talk about it with us. Denise was someone who kept sending us prayer requests every week. Here are the people I'm praying for. Pray that they would come to know the Lord. And so we asked her to talk about the difference it makes when you pray for lost people in your life. Hi, I'm Denise Moon. I've been a member of First Baptist Church Conroe since May 2012. The All In Challenge has been an incredible experience for me because reading through the Bible, praying for others, focusing on others is what loving is all about and what Christ commissioned us to do. Of all the four initiatives that we had in our All In Challenge, my main goal is to pray for the lost. I could share my good news with others or just pray that if I can't, someone else can. God tells us in the Bible that we are to pray for those that are unsaved. It hurts me when I think of someone I care about that doesn't know that and doesn't understand it. And I want them to experience what I experience. And I, I mean, God's commissioned me to do that. And he's commissioned us all to do that. And he says the greatest commandment is love. And if you love someone, you want them to be saved and you want them to enjoy heaven. By praying for others, it takes the focus off me. If I'm dedicating my prayer life for others, I'm not as focused on anything that's negative or, or frustrating in my life. I, it only brings me peace and joy to know that what I have, I can hopefully share with others, and, and that through my prayers for them that they'll find that. I know that God hears every name I pray for and ask others to pray for. I was raised in the church, um, but I didn't become a, I didn't accept Christ until I was 16 years old. And it was amazing to me how many people came up to me after I accepted Christ and made my public confession that told me they'd been praying for me for years, and I had no idea, and how it fulfilled their joy that I had accepted Christ. I'm getting emotional. So, <clears throat> even those that don't know that I'm praying for them, I have the joy that I'm praying for them that one day, that they will find that, that joy. Maybe somewhere in their heart they'll know somebody's been praying for them. Prayer is so important in my life because I wake up each morning before my feet touch the floor. I tell God, this is your day. Please let me be all you need me to be today. Please let me listen for you to talk to me today. And let me be a blessing to others. It makes all the difference in the world in my life since I've learned to do that. Start off with, if you need a list, make a list. Who, What's important to you and what's what's important to God, first of all. Start off with, Heavenly Father, open my heart to what I need to see and what I need to pray for, because I'm not sure. If you're not sure, then let God lead you, but open your heart to Him. Um, the Bible does give us good instruction for, for praying. He tells us to pray for others. He tells us to pray for our government. 
He tells us to be encouragers. So part of encouragement to me, whether they know it or not, is through prayer. I look forward to 2020 in that I think that we're ready to take on some challenges. So Denise is right. When we pray for others, it takes our minds off ourselves. And that's part of us growing in Christ, growing in righteousness. I don't know about you, but if I just leave my prayer life uh, un un unmanaged, if I just pray for whatever pops into my head, it's usually something selfish. And God wants to hear those things too. He cares about the things that matter to me. But if I put some time into plan, I need to pray for these people. That gets my focus on other people. So think about that as you consider, what will I do to feed my soul and further my growth in Christ in the coming year? And sometimes, besides just praying for others, God gives us opportunity to be a blessing to others, to actually be the answer to our own prayers. And that, that's that third challenge. We challenged people to do mission work in 2019, meaning serve others outside the congregation in a hands-on way, not just giving to missions or praying for missions or, or collecting school supplies, but actually meeting someone's needs in a hands-on way, face-to-face. -face. And so we, we asked uh, Gary Corbett to share. He's one of our deacons, and he and his wife Eileen led uh, a mission trip to Costa Rica this past year, and he's going to share his experiences now. My name is Gary Corbett. I've been a member at First Baptist in Conroe since 2000. Well, the, the all-in challenge was... was exciting for me because, you know, I've tried many times to do the through the Bible reading and, you know, with, with it on your phone, it's so much easier. And uh, I says, I think I can do it this year. And, you know, and thankfully I have. And it was, it was, it's a really good feeling to know that I've read the Bible cover to cover and uh, I'm planning to do it again in 2020. So uh, that part was very exciting for me. The missions part was a challenge because like a lot of a lot of churchgoers, you know, we get really comfortable where we're at and, and we don't think about lost people in our community or in the world. And, and so that was a challenging part. And, and that was, you know, a little out of my comfort zone. It was good to get a little push. Alan gave me a little push uh, to get involved. And uh, I'm very glad that I did it. This was my first official mission trip. You know, I've been on church trips before where you know, they were quasi-missional, but this was the first one that was really a mission trip. And it was exciting, and it was a little scary at times. But uh, overall, it was like, you know, this is what Jesus tells us to do. And there's a lot of lost people in the world that, that need to be reached. And uh, so it was exciting to be a part of that. If you believe in the Bible and you believe what Jesus has told us to do, you know, we need to be missional. And... Uh, you know, my experience in Costa Rica was very positive. You know, we didn't have people spitting on us or throwing things at us. Uh, the local pastors there said the worst thing that could happen is they'd turn their dog out on you. And, you know, that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, so it was very positive. And what it impressed upon me was that, you know, in our, in our church, in the local area of our church, you know, we've got people just like the people in Costa Rica who need to know the Lord. And, you know, and we have a responsibility to, to do things and, and to go out and talk to them and tell them about Jesus because they need to know the Lord. We, we served with uh, Jeff and Lori Harrington in Costa Rica. And Jeff and Lori have been missionaries for a long, long time. And, you know, we've, uh, 
Through, through the cooperative program, we support missionaries all over the world. And these people have dedicated their lives to telling others about Christ. They take on a lot of hardship living in remote places, living you know away from their families. And uh, you know we need to pray for them every day. Pray for our missionaries around the world who are on the front lines. And then we need to support them and uh, you know, in helping them when they have projects or you know things they need help with, you know, we can go and we can be with them and work alongside them. It's it's a little daunting at times to think about it. You know, going out and serving and doing what Jesus has asked you to do is is you know you get a you get a reward for that. You feel very very good. You feel very very you know that I'm doing what Jesus asked me to do, and that's a good feeling. And you know, so overcome, overcome your apprehension, overcome your fears, and and sign up and go do it. I would definitely, you know, go again. You know, may, you know, we're working with also the Fleetwoods in Columbia, and uh, you know, I would definitely, you know, sign up to go work with them and help them in their efforts to reach the lost. I think the bigger challenge will be what are we going to do in our community, and and you know, how can we reach reach the, the people who live around the church and what can we do to serve them. You know, we've got some, you know, we got some work to do in that space and uh, it's going to take the whole church to do it. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's close to home, so we need to do it. So we're not saying that every First Baptist Church member needs to go on a mission trip. The opportunities are there. There are several opportunities, and you'll be hearing about those as the year goes on. But what we're saying is find a way to be the hands and feet of Christ to someone outside the church, to do work, to serve them, to show the love of Christ in a hands-on way. And then the fourth challenge last year was to increase our generosity. And here we're going to hear from uh, Bill Thompson. Bill, uh, this past year, chaired our church finance committee. And if you didn't grow up Baptist or you're not familiar with how we do things, uh, a lot of the administrative details of our church are overseen by committees of lay people. So the finances are an example. A group of uh, nine or ten just ordinary church members, men and women from the church, oversee the finances of the church, make sure we're spending money in a responsible way. They set the budget every year. Uh, and last year, Bill oversaw that, did a great job, and he's going to talk about the importance of generosity. I'm Bill Thompson. I've served as the chairman of the Finance Committee this past year. I've been a member here since 1980. When we heard about the All-In Challenge, it really challenged us to set those goals in the different areas, not only just the finances, but in Bible reading, which I took as an opportunity to read the Bible through for the first time, which I really had not done in my whole life. And so I have been very blessed by that with the making a personal commitment to greater generosity. Then I thought back to late 2015 when uh, Dr. David Hardage came and gave a guest sermon for the new year in which he challenged us to grow our giving, to make a, make a commitment to growing your giving. What he said uh, really hit home with me. He said, you know, for those that are not giving currently, make a start this year and just start giving. For those that are already tithing, make a commitment to go really 
uh, over and above the tithe, give as generously as you can. In 2020, of course, at First Baptist, we have an opportunity here to give sacrificially toward paying off our bank loan. And uh, I know there'll be great rejoicing when that happens. We've, uh, we've all been looking forward to the day when we can burn that mortgage note. And so that will be a wonderful time. And I've just taken inspiration from 2 Corinthians 9, 6, which says, whoever shall sow generously shall also reap generously. And that's been a big inspiration to me and my stewardship. For whatever reason, last year, it seemed like we were a little unsure about how things were going to go financially, but I've been blessed as chairman to be, you know, presiding over a very, uh, a very positive year where we didn't have those concerns, thanks to the generosity of our members in giving. And so we didn't have the same concerns as we did last year. And in fact, during this fiscal year, we wound up with a surplus, which we, we handled some issues with building and grounds, and we also were able to pay down on the loan further. So it, it, it was a great year uh, as far as our congregation's generosity. So we were very pleased and uh, very, very blessed by that. I think it is refreshing that our that our denomination is really trusting each of our congregation members of each each believer to make a decision about how to give back to God what we've been given. And that's just a decision that each person has to make. And no one else can make it for you. You have to pray about it. You have to you know, look at your finances and um, how are we spending our money? And can I make some changes that would let me give more? Just the overall concept of the all in, going all in, um, I really, I think it was great because it gave all of us kind of a wake up call in some areas that we really hadn't really given our full attention to. So for those of you who don't know, the, the balloon that Bill was holding there, that represents uh, the, the amount of debt we have remaining from uh, some previous building programs. I'm glad to say the number on that balloon has gone down quite a bit since last time, so you might want to check that out when you head outside. But what I want to do right now is just say thank you to everybody who participated in this challenge to any extent, if you didn't complete all four, or if you did. You might notice that I didn't ask anybody to come up and report you know, I did all four. I didn't ask anybody to sign anything. We don't have badges that we're giving to people who, who did all four because we don't need no stinking badges. I've been waiting to say that. Um, and the truth is, the truth is, if you did all four of those, God doesn't love you any more than He did before you did those four things. That's not what it's about. But you did grow in Christ. And my hope for you is that this coming year, you would grow again. And then you would make a plan. Go back and look at that, that sentence you wrote down. This is what I will do to further my growth in Christ in the year to come. Write something under that. Today or sometime this week, if you want to pray about it first, make a commitment before the Lord. Here's my plan. Here's what I will do. 
let me just leave you with this. I told you about the three promises in this passage that we'll be effective and fruitful, and that we'll never fall if we're increasing in the qualities of Christ-likeness, if we're pursuing righteousness in Him. But this third promise, the, the one that ends the passage, verse 11 says, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to be careful with that verse because if you're not careful, you could take that out of context to mean that these are the things you need to do to earn a place in heaven. And the truth is, there is nothing you or I can do to earn a place in heaven. Nothing. Jesus had to purchase our place in heaven. We know that when we read the rest of the Bible. That's the story of the gospel. That Jesus came and He died the death that we deserve to die because He lived the life that we should have lived. And we get credit for His righteous life while He gets punished for our sin. And He made that trade with us because that's how much we mean to Him. And considering all of that, what Peter is saying is, someday you're going to enter into heaven, the kingdom of God, by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And on that day, think about the kind of entrance you want to have. On that day, I want you to imagine, you've just stopped breathing for the last time. Your breath has left you. You know you're slipping away. And the next thing you know, you're awake and alive in a brand new place. You're breathing heavenly air. You're in this place with unimaginable beauty and glory. People all around you, some of whom you recognize because they're people you've been missing for years, people you've been longing to see again, and they're so rejoiced. They're, they're rejoicing to see you, to welcome you there. You feel like somebody who's been away a long time, and now you're finally home. And then you see Jesus. And I truly believe, I haven't seen Him face to face yet, but based on everything I've seen in the Bible, I just think that meeting Jesus for the first time is going to be like, like tasting pure unfiltered joy for the very first time in your life and thinking, I, I can't believe I ever thought anything else was enjoyable until I met you. And I know, I know because in His resurrected form, He still had the scars in His hands. And I think we'll see that. And it'll remind us of what it cost. What it cost to lavishly provide us with all things pertaining to life and godliness. And at that moment, I want you to ask yourself, do you want to come before Him and say, well, Lord, I'm sure glad I'm in heaven. I don't think I really did anything with my life. Or do you want to be able to say, Lord, I wasn't perfect. I made plenty of mistakes, but, but here, here's the life I offer you as, as a gift, a gift to you. I used to be angry, and then I became patient by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I used to be selfish, and then I became generous. Lord, I used to be, uh, I used to be cold and cynical uh, and self-seeking, but I became, I became kind and compassionate to others. I used to hold a grudge. I became forgiving. There's so many things, Lord, that, that I did by the power of Your Holy Spirit because You were in me, and this is the life I offer to You. Don't you want to lay something before His feet that says, I took what you gave me. I took that lavish provision, and this is the life I lived as a result. Think about what you can do, how you can get there, because the preparation for that day starts right now. What will you do in 2020 to feed your soul, to further your growth in Christ?